This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. All right, guys, I have a very unusual message. I know, I think I say that every week, though, don't I? Uh, this one, I, I don't even know how to describe the pedigree of this message. It's just so unusual. Uh, I was poking around at something historically, you know how I, I am, and I was just fascinated with something, and then as I got fascinated with it, I was supposed to be working on my sermon. And I was really struggling because I had all these questions that I needed to have answered that I had sort of uncorked in my first question about this event in history. And then I was like, well, I'll just, uh, let me look at that a little deeper. And then I ended up buying a book on it and reading multiple chapters of the book. And I was like, I really need to get back to my sermon prep. And it's, you'd know if you, if you knew the book I was reading and all that, that it ended up in my message. It is really interesting how God just sort of took me by the hand and led me here because this is like, I was so moved by what I was looking at and it surprised me. I, I, it really did. I was surprised by the grace in this story that was so inert in its, in its makeup. It wasn't trying to move me. But there was something like, like I had eyes to see through this the scales of history that no one was writing something in a manner which was meant to be emotive or to convey anything, it was just facts. And I saw something in it that was really powerful to me. And so this is called uh, The Gentle President. And it's sort of a uh, red, white, and blue sort of message. So if you see it, it's like there's a feather on the screen. If you're getting the podcast, you may be missing this really cool graphic. And it's a red, white, and blue feather. And so this is talking about an American president, it is. And so I wore uh, sort of my closest thing to a uh, red, white, and blue shirt for this, you know, it's in celebration, in honor. And there is some green uh, in this, so just don't look too closely at my shirt. Uh, but this is the closest thing I have. I don't really have just red, white, and blue shirts, okay? So uh, this is the best I could do for you guys uh, this morning. Uh, but this is, this is really meaningful, and I have been tremendously blessed by this, and it's, like I said, surprised by how blessed I was. Many of you know that I, I really love American history to start with, and I'm always intrigued with presidents, and there are certain presidents that fall under the radar, and we just know nothing about them. I, I don't know, we know their name, especially if you've ever memorized presidents like I have. I used to know them in order and I could actually go backwards and forwards. What's funny is I can't do that anymore. So, so much for the long-term memory side of that one. But I've always really been fascinated with the flow of our history and there's so many pockets I'm always intrigued by because I'd like to know what makes us who we are. It's sort of like at a certain age, you become interested in your heritage, like where you came from. And at a, there's a certain time in life where I remember my hearing that my aunt was doing a deep study on where she came from and that she was going to share it with us. And I remember being so non-interested in that, which is fascinating to me now because I wish I could join her now in that. I think there's a certain 
point in life where you become very interested in what makes you who you are, what are the different factors that brought you here, and I know certain things about my past that have been very, very important for me. And the same thing is true as I'm leading the church of Jesus Christ in this country. It's like I feel it's imperative that I understand our heritage, that I know what made us so odd. Uh, because we are really strange. You look at the scriptures and you look at the modern church like, well, how did we get, well, there's no straight line here. We are a product of a heritage. And so when I'm looking at presidents, that's one of the things that's intriguing to me because obviously the nation thought enough of this guy to vote him in as president. Even though we look back, we're like, you've got to be kidding. Uh, I was looking at this uh, presidential ranking system and obviously whoever these people are that vote for the uh, the most impressive presidents, and they measure them on like five or six different points, you know, their managerial skills, their, their communication skills and various things. I was fascinated to find that uh, Donald Trump was voted, uh, I think he was like 41st, uh, which I think 44th was the bottom of the barrel. Uh, so poor guy, obviously he didn't uh, leave office with a lot of favor in the eyes of those voters. Uh, and yet on the other end, you know, you have people like Abraham Lincoln is voted first, and you have George Washington was voted second. You know, it's sort of hard to argue, right? That's good classic stuff. And uh, the president I'm gonna talk about today doesn't really make the list either where you're looking. You know, there's a guy named Theodore Roosevelt, and this president that I'm gonna mention comes right before Theodore Roosevelt, just to test your American history knowledge. And uh, he is going to do, I'm actually very impressed with him. And yet I don't think history is that impressed with them. In fact, as I was studying today or over the weekend, I was even more so impressed with them. So I'll just take you on the journey, guys. The gentle president. So there he is. Uh, I'm not gonna say his name yet, but you can just sort of stare at the, the picture of him. Of course, if you're getting this via podcast, it's sort of like that'll teach you. Uh, but you know, back then no one smiled in a picture. So don't, don't measure him based on his smile. Because uh, he, you know, he doesn't look like the happiest guy on, on earth. He's a little tubby around the middle. That's one of the descriptions that has given him historically. Uh, and, uh, but there he is, okay, and his name is uh, President William McKinley. And he served in office as president from 1897 to 1901. He's the one that's going to bring us into the new century, the 20th century. And this is oftentimes considered by many people to be the threshold between the old world and the new world. And uh, he's actually going to be elected to a second term. So he was well-liked enough that he didn't just survive one term, he was actually elected to a second term. But if you count up the years, they don't quite measure eight. And there's a reason for that. So, uh, one of his biographers, Robert W. Mary, uh, wrote a book called President McKinley, and this is a description for you, uh, those of you that like descriptions. Short of stature, with broad shoulders and a large, expressive face, McKinley peered at the world through deep-socketed gray eyes that seemed almost luminescent. He was kindly and sweet-tempered. I just want to, if I could circle something for you, it's that last little bit there. That's not the way most of us would view great leaders. In fact, there's hardly a president that is described by those exact words. He was kindly and sweet-tempered. You look at, if you study war history and you study generals, they are some of the cr most crotchety, some of the most egotistical guys. That's what most people would say makes them great in battle. 
It's like, well, yeah, they're not that enjoyable to serve under, but you know what? Yeah, in history, maybe we're glad we had someone crotchety and egotistical when it came to that moment in history, then they wouldn't break because they had such an ego to protect. Yeah, okay, maybe. I, I tend to prefer guys like this that are kindly and sweet-tempered. He immediately, just in my uh, presidential list, goes up a few notches with that one. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, let's vote him higher already. I like this guy. So Robert Mary continues. He says, McKinley once invited into his closed carriage during a downpour a hostile reporter who had been attacking him in print throughout a congressional re-election campaign. Here, you put on this overcoat and get into that carriage, he told the rain-soaked journalist. I guess you don't know who I am, replied the su surprised scribe. I've been with you the whole campaign, giving it to you every time you spoke, and I'm going over tonight to rip you to pieces if I can. I know said the congressman, who's McKinley. But you put on this coat and get inside so you can do a better job. <laughs> okay, he just went up a few more notches for me now. So this is his wife. His wife's name is Ida. So Ida McKinley was the first lady. She was known to have very frail health. And one of the things that McKinley is most noted for is how he... Uh, was always attentive to his wife. There's some big thing going on, but if his wife needs something, he'll just leave everything and care for his wife. And some people thought that that was a little extreme. You know, just say, if she, let someone else, let one of your aides care for your wife, but he would personally tend to his wife. And this is what she said. I did not want him to run a second time. I thought he had done enough for the country. I told myself when his term expires, he will come home and we will settle down quietly and he will belong to me. And this is another statement she made about him. He's the only honest man ever to serve as president. So Robert Mary continues and says, White House official William Crook recalled, when Ida wanted a pen or a needle or a book to read, all she did was to say so. And the president would start at once, hurrying after it as quickly as possible. He considered McKinley's devotion beautiful, but also pathetic when he knew the weights, weight of affairs he was carrying. And so you're seeing this man who is carrying the weight of the world. I mean, it's, America is under duress in this time period. Uh, this is the time of the Spanish-American War, and we have a lot of weights that this man is carrying, just being president. And there were also a lot of violent attacks being made around the world on major leaders. So at this time, in, a, in the three or four year period, there are about uh, three or four major dignitaries, princes and kings and queens that had been assassinated. And the, this movement of the anarchists was uh, very uh, up and coming where they felt like one of the ways to address the evils of the world in that day was to kill empire leaders. And so there was a lot of stress and yet in the midst of it, if his wife, who was sickly, uh, needed a pen and needle or a book to read, he would start at once and he would scurry about and he would tend to her needs. And as his aide said, it was beautiful, but also in his mind, pathetic, considering the fact that this man shouldn't be dealing with such small things. The upside down kingdom, where the servant of all is the greatest of all. One of the ways that, and I, don't th I, don't, I didn't come up with this description. I don't remember where it came from. I don't have an origin point for it. But I have used this term 
for probably well over 30 years to describe the kingdom of heaven, the upside-down kingdom. That when you pop out of your mother's womb, you pop out in an arrangement or an orientation towards this world where the world makes sense to you. Its systems, its laws, its value system makes sense to you. And you look at the kingdom of heaven, and it does not make sense to you. Because if you were God, you would behave completely different than the God revealed in Scripture. If you were God, you would have done this, 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 and this, and yet you are not God, praise God. Because the God of the Bible is different than us. The term is holy. He's other than us. He thinks different than us. It says his ways are perfect. You see, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Our way that we naturally do things actually leads to our destruction, which is why the way of heaven needs to be explained to us. And the way is actually going to come to this earth and be clothed in a human body, and he is going to live out that way, and he is going to become for us that way to the Father, so that we can see that way, we can live in that way, and we can change our orientation. We need to flip upside down, guys. We are headed in the wrong direction, and we are looking at everything through self-lenses, and God says, I want you to live, so I need you to deny self. Deny self? You know how crazy that sounds when self is you? It is your agenda, it is your dreams, desires, and ambitions, and yet God says, I want you to live. Well, I am living, aren't I? Living when I focus on what I want, and yet what God says is, you, if you really want life, capital L life, you need to let go of the life you have so that I can give you mine. But we need to flip upside down, and in the kingdom of heaven, the servant of all is actually the greatest of all. And we're going to see Jesus, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, the one in who has vested all power and all authority. He is God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is going to come to this earth and become a bondservant. He is going to lay down his life for us. That is astounding, so astounding, in fact, that we can hardly grasp it. We can hardly get our our fingers around it, our brain doesn't quite compute. We agree with it, we know it's sound doctrine, we know it's truth, but we don't fully grip it. So this is the term for it that I'm going to use, and it's gentleness. So remember, this is called the gentle president. The word gentle uh, is not a, not a word that oftentimes we effectively use today because it, it basically means soft to us. Oh, it, it had a, you know, they touched me gently upon the cheek. And so that means to, you know, just graze your finger just softly against it. And it's not that that's an incorrect word. That's the way our English language would use it. It's just that the concept in Scripture is far greater. So when the term gentleness is being used, it actually is meaning something far more, far more robust than that. And here's the term. Gentleness means simply the opposite spirit. So when someone comes towards us with hate, we respond in a very different regard. That's, that's the Jesus model, and that's gentleness. So it's the opposite spirit. If evil strikes, it responds in goodness. If judgment pelts, it gives mercy. If hate, love. If darkness, light. If death, life. 
If rudeness, kindness. If mockery, silence. If disdain, forgiveness. If reviling, blessing. Gentleness has many expressions, but they are all as Christ is in the midst of the behaviors that Christ is not. So when behavior that is not Christ comes at us, technically the Christian life is supposed to respond with gentleness, which means we respond as Christ is, even though what is hitting us is not as Christ is. It is as Christ is not. This isn't how we naturally behave, by the way. When someone strikes us on one cheek and gives us what Christ is not, well, then we give back what Christ is not and we belt them on the other. And so Jesus is going to intervene and he says, you know what, when that hits you on one cheek, I want you to give them back something that is very opposite of what this world has ever seen. I want you to turn to them your other cheek. What? You can't do that when they ask for your cloak. Uh, what, what are every single one of us is going to say? Okay, if they ask for your no is the answer. That's my cloak. Give it to them and give them even more than that. I remember hearing a story about some guy who owned a, uh, I don't know if it was lumber place, but he had a whole bunch of wood for, uh, for wood stoves. He had big piles of it out there. And this guy comes up in his pickup truck late at night and is loading up his pickup truck with you know, like a cord of wood or so. And this owner comes out and he's helping load it on. And the guy's looking at me like, okay. And so, and then uh, as the guy's getting ready to leave, he's like, thanks. It's like, you're welcome. Uh, Anytime you want to come back and uh, buy from me in the future, you're more than welcome to. And the guy realizes that's the owner. Uh, And, but he just let him go. And it's like to actually aid and abet a criminal, you've got to be kidding. This is a bad idea. And I even remember being startled by the story. It's like, who would ever do that? And yet what we recognize is that Jesus responds in a very different way than this earth responds. It's upside down. And if you really want to impact this world, use the weapons of warfare that have been given you. And one of them is this, gentleness. Titus 3, 1 through 2 says, remind them to be subject to rulers. So Titus is one of those pastoral uh, books which is going to be Paul communicating, telling Titus how to uh, convey the love of Jesus to uh, those that he's working with in the church. So to remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. How do we function as a church? Well, that's a pretty good description right there. And yet that's opposite, and here's an extra interesting statement, it's opposite the way most conservatives are responding today to their leadership. This is a very different sort of response. Now, we can justify our rather rancid response to the current governmental system by saying, well, we're a constitutional government. I'm sure Paul didn't understand that, that this is a government by the people for the people, and we do not take this. You know, I, I, I get it. I understand the argument. I'm just saying I don't think Paul's words suddenly fall flat, and they no longer have input to us because we live in a constitutional republic. I think even in a constitutional republic, we're responsible to behave with gentleness. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Listen to this line. 
not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So when someone does evil to you, you don't return it with evil. When they revile you, you don't revile them back. But on the contrary, blessing. So when you receive evil, what do you give back? Blessing. When you're reviled, what do you give back? Blessing. What? Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Isn't it a weird thought to think that you were called to give a blessing when evil is done to you? You were called to that. You were called to give a blessing when you're reviled. You were called to that so that you can inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. You know that evil that you just like right on the edge of your tongue and ready to come out when someone is doing you evil? You know, it's just hanging out right there and you have a juicy comment ready to give. Uh, refrain from using this tongue for evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The ultimate picture of gentleness. I think it goes without saying the ultimate picture of gentleness is Jesus Christ. It's, you know, it's just like we might as well go right to the top and just showcase the best of the best. The cross of Jesus Christ is an amazing picture of evil being worked against a man, a man who does not deserve it, a man who has done no wrong other than love and to give mercy and to supply healing. And yet, what is being thrown at him? The insults, the mockery, the disdain, the physical torture. And yet, how does he respond? What he gives back is very different than what's being dished out towards him. Now, most of us don't think of the cross as being a picture of gentleness, but that's exactly what it is. It is a demonstration of the opposite spirit at work. So this is right in the middle of battle. And so I remember how I was describing generals and how the best general is the one who is arrogant and proud and who, you know, won't bend. And, and we're all like, yeah, go general. Yeah, but this is the greatest general of all generals, Jesus Christ. And I still want to take my cues from him, even though I know. I can only understand what some of your thoughts would be, especially if you love war history, of what it would be like if a general did this in battle. It's like, uh, the Nazis are coming in. It's like, let's turn the other cheek. It's like, ah, how does this work? Well, I'm not going to comment on that. I am going to comment on this spiritually. Spiritually is what we do know. Practically, I don't want to speak to that of what, uh, you know, uh, they should have done what Eisenhower should have done uh, in the Battle of the Bold. Should he have turned the other cheek or should he have crushed uh, the Germans? But the ultimate picture of gentleness during the greatest battle of all history. Mark 15, 29. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days. That's mockery, guys. This is God Almighty. The one who created the heavens and the earth, and this is how they're treating him. If there was ever a situation when you just sort of want to singe someone with, you know, your eye, you know, because I'm sure Jesus could do all sorts of things, right, up there on the cross. You know, he could call down legions of angels. I'm sure he could also give the evil eye, and this could be a laser beam. <laughs> the guy could melt. Uh, it'd be like one of those cool science fiction movies. And yet, that isn't how he responds. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is the opposite behavior that we would naturally deliver ourselves. 
This is a supernatural behavior, and I just want us to recognize that from the very beginning. This is not the way we as humans would respond. Jesus' behavior. It's the opposite behavior of what is naturally coming out of you and me. That's Jesus' behavior. You can dig into your pockets and try and get Jesus' behavior and go, you know what, I like how he behaves. I'm going to try some of that. And you're going to find that you don't have Jesus' behavior. Even if you mean well, even if you really honor and respect Jesus' behavior, that doesn't mean you can whip it out. You can esteem it all day long, but to have it is a different story. And that's part of what I'm talking about today. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So the Lord's bondservant, as far as I'm concerned, that's you and me. You see, a bondservant is one who has returned to his master out of love and has submitted his ear to the master and it's pierced with an awl against the doorpost. Why? It's to declare that I have an ear for my master. Whatever my master says, my answer is already given. My answer is yes, Lord. But you don't even know what he's going to ask you. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter. My answer is yes, Lord. And that's what a pierced ear is. So if you are a pierced ear sort of servant, you're the bond servant, this is how you behave. You must not be quarrelsome. Oh boy, are we quarrelsome. I mean, you can hear it all day long. Well, you're not supposed to be. Well, yeah, I wish I could you know, somehow avoid being quarrelsome, but you know what? I just am. Yeah, and I'm not going to argue that. We all pop out of the womb quarrelsome. But we're not supposed to stay the way that we start. We're supposed to be born anew. We're supposed to be transformed. We're supposed to be altered. So if you haven't been altered, then I want you to seriously consider allowing the Spirit of God to alter you. You're supposed to be kind to all. And if I was Nathan Johnson, I would say in the Greek, the word all means all. But I'm not Nathan Johnson, so I didn't say that, right? No, I'm joking. But be kind to all. Able to teach, patient when wronged. So when you're wronged, you handle it with a containment where you don't just bust you know, a, a blood vessel. You actually have patience where you can endure difficulty with a smile, with a love, with a genuine care for someone else and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. That's very different than yelling at someone who is different than you. But with gentleness, you can approach them if they oppose you. And what happens if you can do that is there is perhaps the, now the opportunity for them to come to repentance and leading, and they can become, come to the knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. There's something about gentleness which is very, very powerful in the delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christ set the pattern. His behavior... And I, you notice how I capitalized behavior there? That was on purpose. Because his behavior is correct behavior. It's divine behavior. Our behavior is a lowercase b. We don't really want to show it off. You know, our behavior isn't very good, guys. His behavior, though opposite, is the correct behavior. And the behavior we should both esteem, listen to this, and seek empowerment to adopt. 
You don't have it in your own pockets, the ability to respond as Christ would respond to others around you. But you do have this power. It is available in and through the working of Jesus Christ. He has made it available to us by faith. And when we come to him, as Jacob is going to come to that man of God, remember that he wrestles through the night and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's a good approach right there. He's going to get the name Israel out of that night. That is always the best way to approach God. Grab a hold of him and don't let go. And say, God, I'm missing something. And I don't want to keep functioning in this body without it. I need to be able to respond to others the way you designed me to. And I'm tired of giving them the old Eric version of life. I don't want to give that acid. I don't want to give that selfishness. I don't want to give that pride. I don't want to give that offense. I want to give your love and your kindness and your patience and your mercy. I need gentleness, Lord. See, this is something that the Spirit of God works in us and through us. But we have to know where it comes from. It doesn't come from our own pockets, our own determination, our own grit and willpower. It comes from Him. So you need to receive this. You need to go after this. Just as the neighbor is going to go next door and they need some bread, kink, 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 and they're going to knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. And that's the way you need to be. Jesus is going to say, yeah, like that. I'm like, that sort of sound rude. Well, the one asking you to come obviously doesn't interpret it as rude, but he interprets it as faith. And that's what you need to do. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Well, what was his example? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So we're going to go back in time to 1901. And this is right after President McKinley has been reelected. Uh, it's a joyous uh, moment. He's trying to sort of set the pattern and his agenda for his next four years. His uh, vice president is a guy named Theodore Roosevelt, just a young buck and rather fiery, uh, and sort of one of these guys that uh, is the ultimate depiction of a man. And McKinley, I don't know that anyone ever described him as being the ultimate picture of a man. You know, he's, he's not the most shapely character, but he's... He's a very nice man. And yet, some people are concerned about how nice he is. Because he's just... He, he actually genuinely cares about everyone in this country. You know, he's not faking it. Which is the thing that really intrigues me about this guy. He was told time and again, you do not need to engage with the public. Uh, I don't know if they called him Bill. You know, his name's William. But, you know, you could imagine. If it's more personal conversation, Bill... You don't need to shake hands with everyone, but I want to. I love these people. It's like, you, you know, as a president, that's really cool, okay? But we need to protect you too. We have the interests of the nation at heart as well. And we need to spare you your health. I mean, we, you got a lot on your plates. And so he was all, his favorite part of the job was meeting people. And he had this whole system of how he would shake hands and push them along, shake hands. He could shake 50 hands in a minute. <laughs> it's like his art form. This guy's really good. So Buffalo, New York, they're the Pan American Exposition. This is like they're debuting uh, the first x-ray. 
at this. This is a big, big thing in Buffalo, New York, and the biggest thing about it is that the president is coming to, to give a speech. And so it's a, it's a big event. And this is September 7th, 1901. So Robert Murray says this, the president brushed aside warnings about his safety with fatalistic indifference and insisted on making himself accessible to the country's citizenry. And what we mean by accessible is he wants to be with them. He wants to hold babies. I mean, this is like the classic picture of a president, but most of them just do it for the photo op. This is before photos were very common, guys. This wasn't so that people could see it. This guy, I know as strange as it sounds, genuinely loved the people and he wanted to be with them. So in steps this guy. Now this guy doesn't have the easiest last name to pronounce, so I, I put a little helper on the, on the screen. Leon Chugos. Uh, I still don't know if that's accurate, but I actually did a, one of those, you know, how do you pronounce this types of thing, and so then I put it up there. So Leon Chugos, he's an anarchist, and I don't know that he has anything personally against McKinley, it's just McKinley is the man. He's the guy that you need to stick it to. And if you're going to correct the ills of our world, you need to teach these leaders that have gotten us into so many scrapes. You need to just show the world that it's the small guy that has a voice too. So in steps Leon. Uh, he's going to show up at uh, the Pan American uh, event, uh, and he's going to have a revolver. Robert Mary says it this way, when McKinley entered through a side door, Leon, what was, how do you pronounce his name? Chugas. Okay, so uh, when McKinley entered through a side door, Leon Chugas pushed toward the front. In his right hand, he held a 32 caliber pistol wrapped in a handkerchief and pressed against his chest to simu sim simulate an injury. So in his right hand, he had an, an injured hand, is the way he was approaching uh, the president in line. It was really a uh, handkerchief covering uh, his, his gun. And so here's some, some pictures. Remember, we, we have photos from this time, but they're very rare, and they, they're not quick. You don't just whip them out and take a quick shot, and uh, no pun intended. Uh, and so there's Leon in, in two different... Uh, Two different pictures, just to sort of give the idea of what happened. He took two bullets to the abdomen. So Robert Mary says it this way. Am I shot? Asked the president in a steady voice. Geary, who was uh, his, the detective who was supposed to probably be protecting him, unbuttoned McKinley's vest, saw blood, and replied, I fear you are, Mr. President. Uh, Scott Miller, uh, in a, a different book, which is called The President and the Assassin, wrote, Chugas disappeared beneath a pile of men, some of whom were punching or hitting him with rifle butts. He was heard to say, I done my duty. These are the moments. So I just want to sort of circle this moment. And I want to see how you're doing. Because as a leader, I've never been shot. But I have been in this moment many times. Where there are people that may not even personally dislike me, but they hate what I represent. And I've had so many people just not like me because I'm with Jesus. Other people that can't figure out why they don't like me, they just really don't like me. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm a golden retriever. My tail's wagging. It's like, what's, what's there not to love, right? <laughs> and when you look at William McKinley, talk about a golden retriever. 
This guy is just pure nice. Everything about this guy is nice. And if I went more into his story, you'd recognize that. This is just one of those guys that most of us would be like, I'd love to have that guy for a president. And yet most of us don't even remember him. And a lot of it is because Teddy Roosevelt is going to come in in a very delicate time in history. And he is, I mean, talk about carrying a big stick. He is going to come in and take the wave of momentum that McKinley set and basically prosper from it, even reputationally. And he's going to be considered by many in the third uh, ranked position of the third greatest president of the United States history, is the guy that's going to follow in this guy's wake. But these are the moments when you have given only graciousness, kindness, and love, but it is responded to with hatred, harshness, and violence. What do you do then? Because this is, this is a tough moment. Now, like I said, I've never been shot in the abdomen twice and had to respond, but I've had spit on my face. I've had curses straight, you know, from a couple inches away. I have had very demonic things done against me, towards me, with the desire to see me die. And these are the moments, I would say, that all of us are being built for. We're not going to be presidents of the United States, but in our own little zone, we are being built to influence and to have a voice and to influence the world around us. And yet, these are the moments that most define us. And I would say, just as a personal testimony, I have discovered the gentleness of God in supernatural ways in these moments. I have. I have I mean, a whole bunch of stories I'm not even going to share because they involve people. However, I understand what this is. What's interesting is you can have this grace in certain areas and then almost like turn off the spigot in other areas, family being one of them. And one of the things I want to be very sensitive to in my life is that that spigot of gentleness is always available in every situation because it's when you least expect it. Now, this is an unexpected situation, and the way he's going to respond is the whole point of this message. Robert Mary says this. This is his first words when he finds out that he's shot. This is what he says. He's, he's being laid down on the ground. He says, my wife, said the president to his secretary as Colonel you leaned over him, be careful, Cordell you, how you tell her. Oh, be careful. He knows how delicate his wife is. And his concern is not for himself. He's immediately thinking about his wife. And he's thinking about how it's even conveyed to her. And then uh, Robert Mary continues. Then he saw Chugas bleeding upon the floor, beset by angry law enforcement officials, with an angry crowd gathering around, he raised his right hand, red with his own blood, and placed it upon Cordelieu's shoulder. Let no one hurt him. He gasped as guards dragged the malefactor away. This scene is, I mean, I, like I said, when I was first reading this, it was just facts, just data. And for whatever reason, it touches me. It, and I, I can't quite explain why, but there is something about this story that is very, very significant to me. So an interview with the president's nurses, which was held in October of 1901, this was in September, so they're going to interview, because this was in an exposition tent, they didn't have a hospital nearby, and so they had these nurses, and they're going to interview them to get the full story, and this is one of the things that was said. As McKinley lay on the operating table, he stated of Chugols, he didn't know, poor fellow, what he was doing. He couldn't have known. 
The grace of gentleness. What is needed is always supplied in the difficult moment. This is what we need to recognize is that we may not have just an abundance of this gentleness just sort of residing in us, and we might feel a little thin in that regard, but when you need it, you always have it. If you have your hands open for it or your soul open for it. God supplies this for the darkest moments. I've had people yelling in my face about how terrible of a person I am. And I have found that inside of me, God can contain anything of flesh and he can give me love for that person where I'm actually praying for that person I genuinely love when I speak back to them even though I have spittle all over my face. And the way they're handling the situation is terrible. It's rude. It's demonic. It makes no difference. God loves this person. And I have, I have watched this happen inside of me more than a few times. I know how this works. It is a profound thing. What is needed is always supplied in the difficult moment. So, one of the things that we need to allow God to do is to take the less difficult moments and train us in this. To recognize that even today you can run into moments that need gentleness. That maybe in your natural man you would respond harshly or disfavorably or you'd be upset quicker. That we want to go after that grace for the small moments so that when we have the bigger moments, we are ready. Robert Mary says it this way. This is uh, right at, the, so McKinley is going to actually seem to be coming out of this, but he is going to have gangrene uh, inside. It's, it's, they didn't have the modern medicine. Let's just put it that way. They couldn't quite tell. They couldn't find the other bullet it was lodged in, and an infection is going to overtake his body, and he's going to suddenly just start to fade quickly. And he's going to say, it is useless, gentlemen. I think I ought to have prayer. He asked for Ida, and Cordelieu led her into the room. As family and friends stepped back against the wall, she took his hand and leaned down to kiss him. Goodbye, goodbye all, said the president in a weak voice. Moments later, he whispered in Ida's ear, it is God's way, his will, not ours, be done. I want to go with you, she whispered back. We are all going, my dear, he said. Then he slipped back into a stupor as he whispered the words of his favorite hymn. So I'm gonna give you the last words of William McKinley. It's from the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. Nearer my God to Thee, nearer to Thee. Even though it be a cross that raises me, still all my songs shall be nearer my God to Thee. Nearer my God to Thee, nearer to Thee. I don't know where he's in, in your presidential list, but he has gone up a few notches. He's now competing with Lincoln and Washington. I like this man. Now maybe, you know, if you measure him in other ways, he's like, well, he didn't do it for me. Well, yeah, what am I... Yeah, but this is how I measure a man right here. Right there. That's how I measure a man. No one seems to ask me when they're voting for presidents, you know, of who's the best. So a few gentleness pointers. So these are critical things that I have exercised over the years, and I just want to encourage you to take these seriously. You see, you're going to find that there are two reactions that you have to everything that takes place in your life. And that is because you have two dimensions to your being. Just like a plane travel involves the law of aerodynamics, it's the law of aerodynamics overcoming something known as gravity. 
And so when you're outside of a plane, gravity rules you. And so you may want to, you know, jump 100 feet in the air. You can't. You may want to run and leap from, uh, you know, the coastlines of the east coast of America all the way to London, England. You can't. Why? Gravity. Gravity prohibits you from doing these noble, amazing accomplishments. But when you enter into a plane, the law of aerodynamics trumps the law of gravity. Even though the law of gravity exists, you now are functioning according to a higher law and able to pull off a behavior, like for instance, leaping from the east coast of the United States of America all the way to London, England. That is incredible. And you're actually able to accomplish that not because of something you did, but because of something in which you trusted. Jesus and life with Jesus and the expression of Jesus to a lost and dying world is the same thing. There's two dimensions of your being, and there's one dimension that has always hindered you. It's called the flesh. It's your first man, or what the Bible and Paul will call the old man. The old man, when you come to Christ, is crucified. However, and this is going to sound a little confusing, it's, still, it's sort of like the law of gravity. It still is there, and it still has a voice and a will and an agenda, but it is trumped as long as you abide in Christ. It has no voice over you. It has no ability to direct you. So as you find your life in Christ, as you buckle your seatbelt in Christ and you trust him, you're able to live a life that you couldn't if you keep submitting to that law of sin and death or the flesh or the old man. The old man has an agenda in your life and he wants to, when that anger comes your way, when that spite comes your way, when that mockery comes your way, if you ask the old man what his opinion is, he'll tell you how to respond. I mean, it's already pre-scripted for you. I mean, it's almost like I could tell you the script, right? Because we all have the same script. It's defending yourself. It's putting some, someone else down to elevate yourself above them. It's to give them what is due them. If they spit in your face, you spit right back. If they hurl an insult at you, you hurl an insult right back. No one insults me. And ironically, many people would say that great leadership comes from being dogged in that position. And we've had many leaders in this country with that John Wayne attitude. You hit me, I'll hit you back harder. And wow, well, I have to admit it gets things done. And we've done pretty good for ourselves as a country, haven't we? And yet I would say if we're going to be saved as a country, we can't follow a John Wayne model. We have to follow a Jesus Christ model. And who would have ever guessed that I would have said we need to follow a, uh, a William McKinley model? Would have never guessed that myself. And yet, one that actually is thinking of others in the darkest moment of our life. One that is actually considering those that are harming us and desiring them to be preserved and protected because they don't know what they do. I don't know who that sounds like, guys. But that's a pretty profound statement. There is a behavior that God wants to cultivate in us that is not just the American spirit, but is the Christian spirit. It is the heavenly atmosphere of God working in us to love those who hate us. We live in hostile territory down here where it seems like there are enemies crouched at every corner wanting to take out Christianity, wanting to diminish the truth that we represent. When we are in this culture, we have to make a decision of how we're going to respond to it. If someone wants to harm us, our job is to see them rescued. They become the actual fixed point 
of reference for us of when we're saying, I want to go after the mission field in this earth today. It's the very ones that desire to harm us, the very ones that have grieved us, the very ones that have brought offense against us are the very ones that we seek to save because that's how Jesus works. So here's our list of gentleness pointers. I call it deleting the first draft. Have you ever received an email or a letter or something that really gets you mad? I can't imagine any of you have ever gotten that email. But instinct is to turn to that first voice of the flesh and to dish out a fleshly response. But I want you to stay in the airplane, guys, because when you enter into the airplane, if you want to say it that way, into Jesus Christ, you function after a higher law. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which gives you access to love and to kindness, to mercy, to be able to give this person actually what will help them instead of what will continue to escalate a feud. But you have to deliberately say no to one voice and cultivate the other. So I always say delete the first draft. You know that first one you sit down and you're like doing, and you're typing it out and you're actually harming your keyboard as you're doing it? <laughs> that one, delete it. That has no business being sent. That isn't what the world needs. That isn't what this soul needs. That isn't what you need. That is only gonna create havoc for your life. Delete that. Number two, if you are really craving to speak, maybe you shouldn't. It's actually a principle of gentleness. If you really have something you want to say, like, you know, husband and wife, you're in that one argument, which I know that none of our uh, uh, couples in our church ever get into that argument. Uh, we're a special church, right? However, when you're in such an argument, you could be thinking what you could say that would sort of make your point. That is precisely what you don't say. That's not actually going to help. What you need to do is not listen to old man voice. Remember, you are in Christ. You are actually working according to a higher law. You actually have access to something that can deliver you in this moment to give something that is life-giving instead of something that would injure. So number three, if you really, really don't want to speak, maybe you should. You ever had that where it's just like, I really don't want to say anything. No, I, don't, I don't want to say anything. No, I really don't. Oftentimes that could be, the, and I'm not saying this is a, a rule of thumb which you can just take to the bank. It's like, if you don't want to speak, oh, now you have to. No, that's not the case. It's just be sensitive, because if you're really not wanting to speak, maybe the Spirit of God wants you to speak, because that's a good sign. If, if you want to speak, sometimes you're too hurried to say it. Sometimes you're going to say it in your own power, and your own strength, and your own venom. But if you don't want to speak, there's a pause already naturally associated with your movement and with how you're engaging the situation. You may know something that that person really needs to hear something, but you don't want to be the one to say it. But maybe you're supposed to be. Number four, remember gentleness is a weapon against the powers of darkness. So wield it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have been given weapons of warfare, and people are like, what are the weapons? I know that they're mighty, they pull down strongholds, but what are they? Well, this is one of them. Gentleness, responding in the opposite spirit, staying in the plane, buckled in, even though you have turbulence outside, remain in that plane. Access the mercy, the grace, 
the peace of God in that moment to give something that is otherworldly. Number five, the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit meets us in the impossible moment. So when you get to that moment where you're thinking there's no possible way I could respond as Christ would respond, that's like his special moment. He's great in that moment. Allow him to be great in that moment. Don't immediately start with, oh, this is impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for you, not impossible for him. He is very good at being God. Let him be God in that moment. When that honorary reporter is caught in the rain, remember that honorary reporter uh, that's been writing all sorts of bad things about you? Uh, here you are in your congressional race, every speech you give, all he finds is the fault. And he's even intending to find fault tonight. And now he's caught in the rain, what are you gonna do? What will be your response? Because these are the moments that were proven. When our enemy is actually in need, how do we respond to them? And you're gonna see Jesus, he's gonna come to this earth and give up his life for that enemy, us. When your family member asks for a pen or a needle or a book to read, you know what an inconvenience that is? They could get up and get it themselves. Come on. This is actually a defining moment in our life where we respond opposite the nature of selfishness. Now, they could maybe use a dose of self, selflessness in their own life by not asking you to be the one to pick, you know, get the pen or the needle or the book to read. Some of you are like, a needle? Why? I'm never going to ask for a needle, right? This is what Ida would ask for. And yet, what will your response be? Because this is when you can declare, you can demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. When Chugols draws a gun on you and shoots you, I know, it's a pretty extreme situation. It doesn't always need to be a physical gun with physical bullets. But you're injured. Your reputation could be injured. You are feeling it one way or the other. It's, it was meant to harm you, those words or that action. What will be your response? This is when you showcase the kingdom of heaven. Luke 23, 33 through 34, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus is going to think about his mom. He's going to think about how she's being cared for. He's going to consider all of us. He's going to think about those that are persecuting him. I've oftentimes said the greatest secret to martyrdom is to turn outward. That's how you go through great pain, is by turning outward and seeing the needs of everyone around you, which are actually greater than yours. You're held safely in the hollow of Christ's hand. You're gonna be fine. It's all of those that are persecuting you, that are creating this havoc in your life. Actually, they're the ones that need the love of Jesus right now. So, this is a little flip on the storyline, guys. When you are that honorary reporter that is caught in the rain. And you're like, well, I'm not the honorary reporter. Okay, just imagine. Imagine that you're that honorary reporter. Imagine that you're the one that is doing a misdeed. What was his response toward you? Or what is his response toward you? See, one of the things that I've, I really love meditating on in this is picturing Jesus as a leader and recognizing that he shouldn't be the one getting up to get pens and needles and a book to read. And yet, he delights to do it. 
I mean, uh, uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, why don't you stay seated? We'll find someone else to do that. You shouldn't be doing something like that. You, you have the whole weight of the world to be carrying. When you are the needy family member that asks for a pen or a needle or a book to read, what is his response toward you? Isn't that an amazing thought to think that your king, though he's king, over all, the creator of the heavens and the earth is like, I'll get that for you. That he moves about, scurries about the way William McKinley is going to for Ida. That his thoughts are on you. He knows your frailty. He knows your weakness. And he loves you. And when you are like Chugols and you injure your kind king. And I'm not saying you needed to have a pistol and shoot him. However, isn't it interesting to think that that's what the cross is? It's our sin that is pinning them there. And what is his response toward us when we do something that injures him, injures his reputation, injures our relationship with him? What is his response to us? Well, one thing I can say is it's shocking. It really is. It's opposite of what we may give if the same thing happened to us, and that's where we need to get our game on, guys. We need to recognize the way he thinks towards us is very different than the way we think towards those that are harming us. And praise God for that. Because if he's going to respond the way we would respond naturally to our enemies and the people that are going to irritate us, we're, we're sunk. But he loves us. And he is going to respond gently towards us. Not what we deserve. He's going to give us life, love, mercy. What a great God we serve. John 13, 12 through 17. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just behold your gentleness towards us, but that we would crave to have that gentleness in us, working through us. Lord, I pray that you would do that work even now. That if there is any unkind behavior that we have had, even this morning, that we'd be quick to make it right, quick to correct it, quick to respond in the opposite of what we may want to do in our pride. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate the humility of the Lord in each of us and that we would walk forward in our Christian life richer, stronger, and more ready to address the ills of our world around us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. 
For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.